John chapter 1, I'll be reading verses 35 through 42. This is God's word. Again, the next day, John stood with two of his disciples. And looking at Jesus as he walked, he said, Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. The two disciples heard him speak, and they followed Jesus. Then Jesus turned and seeing them following, said to them, What do you seek? They said to him, Rabbi, which is to say when translated, Teacher, where are you staying? He said to them, Come and see. They came and saw where he was staying and remained with him that day. Now it was about the tenth hour. One of the two who heard John speak and followed him was Andrew, Simon Peter's brother. He first found his own brother, Simon, and said to him, We have found the Messiah, which is translated the Christ. And he brought him to Jesus. Now, when Jesus looked at him, he said, You are Simon, the son of Jonah. You shall be called Cephas. Uh, Just a note here. I added some words to verse 36. They came come earlier in the chapter. If there's ever any record of this that uh, seems as a scribal error that's happened there, I've added <laughs> added some words there, not to, uh, not there. Well, I've come to the end of First Samuel, and I decided to pause in that narrative. I'm going to come back to it because. I want to trace that story of David along and, uh, and see it through to its completion. And actually, 1 Samuel and 2 Samuel were originally all one book. But there is a, a natural pausing place there. And uh, I want to turn to the, old, to the New Testament for a period. And I plan to preach through the book of 1 Peter. So today, I want to introduce you to the Apostle Peter. He doesn't come up in this passage until the end, but uh, there is something of an introduction that is made. I want you to know some things about Peter that come from the Gospels, which will be helpful for you then to understand the letters that he then writes later. The Gospel of Matthew tells uh, about how Jesus went and he called Peter to be his disciple along with, with, uh, with the other disciples. But this here in John is the first occurrence, the first meeting that we have with Peter. And so I want to preach from this passage today. By way of introduction, it is interesting that, that Andrew is the first one that we meet He's the lesser, he is lesser known compared to Peter. In fact, when we, we've, we come to know Peter very well because he is so bold and outspoken. He's courageous and somewhat impetuous and maybe strong headed. He's a spokesman for the disciples. You find that he is ready for a fight. But then he runs away to hide when, when he's accused, even to the point of denying Jesus. We also know that Peter would become something of a foundational 
plank of the, the New Testament church. He was one of the apostles of the church. He was a preacher and teacher of the New Testament. It's believed that the gospel writer Mark based his first gospel, the, the first gospel that appeared on the sermons that Peter preached. And then later, the Spirit of God inspires the Apostle Peter to write two letters that are part of Holy Scripture. So today, I want to, you to, to be introduced to Peter. By saying that, you may think this is a sermon about Peter, but it's not. The sermon is about Jesus. And it ought to be about Jesus. But Peter plays a role in this telling. And in saying that this message is about Peter, I'm keying this especially on the way in which Andrew goes to Peter and says, we have found the Messiah. We have found the Christ. And by that, I want to underline that the most important thing to find in your life is Jesus. It is more important than what job you will find. It's more important on the spouse that the Lord might bring to you. It's more important than, uh, than anything to find Jesus. We begin in this text with John the Baptist. Because John the Baptist had a role and his role was to point to Jesus. Verse 35 says, again, the next day, John the Baptist was with two disciples. I want you to recognize that, uh, that as you read through the Gospel of John, that, that the John who writes this is different than John the Baptist. John the Baptist was the one who was the forerunner to the Messiah. And John, the author of this book, is the Apostle John, the brother of James. So there, uh, there may be some confusion back and forth. And John has a, a particular uh, way of writing that shows an interest in the chronology of what is happening. So when he says it's the next day, he has in mind that it is the next day. And the context helps you to understand why this is important. Because John the Baptist, the previous day, had been telling his own disciples about his interaction with Jesus, about how he was the one that God had sent in front of the Messiah to announce him, how Jesus himself had come to John to be baptized, to receive the baptism that God had given to him. And the very previous day, John had said that, uh, that he had seen Jesus and had pointed him out. Here are those words I was thinking of. Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. And he describes him as one coming after me who is more important than I am. You see, he's telling his disciples to not just listen to what he had to say, but to look forward to the one that he was announcing, to look for Jesus. And the very next day, it just so happens that John is standing with two of his disciples, that here comes Jesus. 
And I smile when I say it just so happened because I, I love to use that phrase to point out that there really are no coincidences in God's timing. This was, this was God's purpose. He sent John to announce the coming of Jesus. And Jesus came to preach and to teach, to seek and to save sinners. And this meeting was not mere coincidence. Jesus was there for a purpose. Part of that purpose is played out now as John says publicly, but then particularly to his two disciples. There he is. There he is. The Messiah. Behold, the Lamb of God. And his disciples followed Jesus. Remember that God sent John to prepare the way. John, John had a, a job to do, and it was a very important job, one that garnered a lot of attention. There were a lot of people who were coming out to hear John and to receive his baptism. We might say today that there was a, something of a viral sensation about the ministry of John the Baptist. And it would have been very tempting for John to grasp after that. But over and over again, John understood that his purpose was always temporary. He was preparing the way for Jesus. He was pointing forward and then pointing literally to Jesus. There he is. And he says later, as some of his disciples were somewhat jealous over Jesus' rising popularity, John the Baptist says, no, that's okay. He must increase and I must decrease. In fact, earlier in this chapter, the, the, uh, the, the Pharisees had come to him and said, are you the Messiah? And he says, oh, no, 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 no way. He is coming after me. You need to Pay attention and look for him and follow that one that comes after me. And I want you to see how, how John is preparing even his own disciples for this. Now, there's something heady about a viral crowd, lots of people coming out to see him. There's something even, even more heady when you get, when you get disciples, when you get quality individuals that come to be mentored and to take up that message after you. There's something very powerful about that. But John, once again, was refusing to take glory to himself. Knowing his purpose of preparation, he gladly steps aside when the reality appears. He knew that the most important thing to find in this life is the Messiah. I like to think of this as something of a graduation. Here in a college town, maybe that's helpful for you too. John was preparing his disciples much like a teacher does, preparing students to graduate, to go on in productive work and study, both the student and the teacher look forward to that day. 
There's something to celebrate. There's something great about that as graduation takes place. And John is preparing them just for this. And even the disciples' words, we have found the Messiah, help us to understand this, that they had listened. They were looking for the Messiah. Well, that's something that was part of the very culture of the Jewish age. There was a, a, a longing for the coming of the Messiah. You might know that there's even a period of silence, this called, between the Old Testament and New Testament, a period between Malachi and Matthew where there was no prophet. And that was striking for the people of God, not to have someone sent by the Lord for the purpose of declaring that. And so there's this, uh, this sense of longing that the silence creates, but there's also this sense of longing that John's disciples catch as the Lord sent John out to preach this message of repentance and message of announcement. So when John points to Jesus and says, Behold the Lamb of God, the two disciples take the decisive step to follow Jesus. They will remember this day for the rest of their lives. Much like I hope that you will remember those, those days when God got a hold of you to follow after him. And the text again even records the time of day. There's John's interest to, in details. He says it was about the 10th hour. That means probably around, around 7 o'clock, 8 o'clock in the evening by our clocks. Uh, but even with that hour, they resolved to follow Jesus. And that's... Uh, that's John's purpose. John was pointing forward to Jesus, the most important thing to find. So let's turn our attention to Jesus. Putting it the way that I have, the most important thing to find is Jesus. And the disciples' words, we have found the Messiah. You might say that Jesus came to be found. And in your outline in the bulletin, you might see there's a gap there. Uh, but don't put Jesus came to be found. He did. But that's, uh, that's kind of passive in the way it describes. Rather, I want you to see that Jesus came to purposefully seek and to save sinners. He came to actively find his children and from our perspective to be found by them. And that comes through in this text. Jesus turns and looks at them, knowing that they, that they were following him. And he says, what are you seeking? And isn't that just like Jesus? He knows what's on man's heart. He knows what's on our hearts, on your hearts. He knows that longing to find the Messiah that had motivated them to follow. And so there's no chit-chat here with Jesus. He cuts right to the heart of the matter. What is it that you're looking for? 
And I like the way that he initiates this conversation, how he shows his purpose for coming and his active nature in that. I like the way John Calvin puts it. He says that Christ had presented himself to the disciples for the express purpose that they might come to him. So now when they come, he gently encourages them and exhorts them. So remember, there's no coincidence. He was there just as John the Baptist was there with with the apostle who would be the apostle John and Andrew. And he was there to meet with them, to draw them to follow after him. Calvin goes on then in this really beautiful uh, application about the gracious way that Jesus does this. He says this kind and uh, this is a kind and gracious invitation uh, that was once made to these two persons, but now belongs to all of you. We ought not therefore to fear that Christ will withdraw from us or refuse to us easy access provided that he sees us desirous to come to him. But on the contrary, he will stretch out his hand to assist our endeavors. What he's saying there is, is, is that you should pay attention to note the gracious call of Jesus Christ and really the free offer of the gospel that is, is contained here. The Lord is desiring sinners to repent. It is his purpose to come to seek and to save sinners. Now, recognize that this isn't a treatise on salvation. And from a reformed perspective, we would concentrate on God's sovereignty to save sinners. We know that it is by grace alone, through faith alone, but uh, that's not really what uh, is being emphasized here. What's being emphasized is God's compassion for the lost. Time and time again, John shows Jesus as being moved by love, by being moved by compassion. In just a couple of chapters, we have what may be one of the most well-known Bible verse of all time, John 3.16. For God so loved the world that he sent his only begotten son, that whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. Notice the means of salvation, but notice also the love that motivates God to seek and to save sinners. And Christ's love for his children comes through in the way that he deals with Andrew and John. What are you looking for? What are you seeking? There's that that invitation to come along in this conversation. So John the Baptist had announced Christ as the Son of God. 
The one who had baptized with the Holy Spirit, he announced him as the Lamb of God who takes away sin. John announced Jesus as the reality who brought forgiveness as the lamb that would be sacrificed for our sins. And the disciples were looking for this. They were longing for it. And oh, how they longed for it. The Old Testament scriptures had prepared them for this. John the Baptist had pointed them to this. And now at the invitation of Jesus, they pour out their hearts to the one that they were looking for. So when Jesus says, what are you seeking? Their response is, Rabbi, where are you staying? You might think, really? (laughs) Jesus gives them an open door to pour out their hearts to them. And they're standing in the presence of the the Messiah. And this is the best they could come up with. (laughs) Where are you staying? Well, actually, there's more to it, I believe, than that. You see, They came with the longing to find the Messiah. They are recognizing something in Jesus, and it comes through in their words. They recognize him as a a respected teacher. They call him rabbi, which was the the name that would be given of respect to an acknowledged teacher. And they came with their hearts burning within them to find the Messiah. They had important questions to ask, and it's as if they wanted Jesus's undivided, uninterrupted attention. So they wanted to go to a private place rather than a public place of teaching. They wanted to go to a private place So they could ask these most important questions of Jesus. And as testimony of Jesus's compassion, he invites them to come with them. And he gives them that attention. He gives them his full undivided attention, the answers that they were seeking for. He gives them himself. So much so that they recognize that this is not just a teacher, not just a respected rabbi, not just one that is a, is, is a rising star in the speaking circuit, but this is the promised Messiah. Which leads us to Andrew's response. Can't you feel their excitement at this point? Can't you just feel uh, the urgency that Andrew has? They left the house after going there in the evening with Jesus Christ, and the day is not even done yet. Remember John's attention to time. Verse 43 says, the next day. So what Andrew does happens even before that next day. He can't wait even that long to go tell his brother, we have found Jesus, we have found the Messiah. What is beautiful about this is that is that urgency that flows throughout this, this entire portion of the text I pointed out John's urgency 
to point to Jesus. I called your attention to the, to the way in which Jesus came to actively seek and to save sinners. And now it just flows out of Andrew as well. We have found the Messiah. And so that the audience that John the Apostle was writing to, it's translated into Greek as we have found the Christ. The Greek would understand that word to mean the same thing as Messiah, the anointed one. And he uses that title very particularly because it is what the Old Testament had been promising. The Jews practiced the uh, anointing as a sacred rite to designate individuals for a specific purpose. We've seen this already. We've seen this in in the Old Testament as I preach through 1 Samuel about the anointing of David as king and the anticipation of a king that would come following in the line of David, who would be the perfect king, the Messiah or anointed one. And that title is picked up all throughout the scripture, and we've used some of those today. The idea then is that that the anticipation of the Jews was for a Messiah. Now, sure, they had certain misconceptions about that, but the disciples would grow in their understanding as they spent time with Jesus that this is indeed the Messiah. So what does Andrew do when he finds the Messiah? He can't even wait until the morning. He goes to his brother Peter, and he says, we've found him. we found the Messiah, and he takes him there that evening because Peter, too, was longing for this most important thing to find. He was longing to find the Messiah. The gospel doesn't record more of the conversation that Jesus had with Peter than just this. It's recorded so it stands out. It must be important. Now, when Jesus looked at him, he said, You are Simon, the son of Jonah. You shall be called Cephas. He translates again for the Greek readers, which is translated a stone. Jesus gave Simon a new name, the name of Cephas, or uh, that is also translated into Peter, which we come to know him by the best. Peter, the disciple of Jesus Christ, the apostle of Jesus. And it's interesting that Jesus doesn't look back on Simon's past or to name him on the basis of something great he had already done. Rather, he gives him a name significant of the calling that Jesus was placing on him. Here again, the purposeful plan of Jesus to meet to save, to disciple Peter, to make him a follower of his, to save him from his sins, to send him out as a witness. 
How much has been made about that change of name? The impulsive Simon would eventually become the steadfast Peter, a pillar of the church. And there's something uh, poetic about that. And it's something that can be traced through the life of Peter. But for today, I want you to see the significance, not just of the name of Peter. This message is not ultimately about Peter. In fact, I've only come to him here at the very last little bit of the sermon. That's because the message isn't about Peter. It's about Jesus. (laughs) And I want you to know Jesus. Like John the Baptist, I pray that you would listen to me as I point you to the Messiah. And may your hearts burn within you, even as Andrew and Peter's heart did, even as John and James wanted to know this Messiah, burning to find him, to know him, to be known by him. I pray that if you have never come to terms with Jesus, in fact, that you may have looked a variety of directions for meaning and purpose in life, Pray that you would hear me today that the answer to that yearning that you have is Jesus. That you must come to him as Savior and Lord to repent of your sins and to cast yourself on his mercy and to trust in him as your Savior. And as a disciple then of Jesus, all of you who are trusting in him, never forget his gracious compassion to you. You were lost in your sin. You were casting about, searching for something. You were desperately longing, dying of thirst, dead in your trespasses in sin, searching for the meaning of life, for forgiveness, and Jesus has showed compassion to you. He came to seek and to save sinners. He is full of love and life for you. And having found Jesus, may you be a spark to those around you. Just as the disciples, John and Andrew, and then Peter, may your love for Jesus overflow so much that that same intensity that comes through in this passage would be yours. That there would be an eagerness to tell others about the hope that you have received that carries you forward day by day. And when they come and they ask you about it, you can say, well, it's because of Jesus. And when you find that he has sustained you through a difficult period, when you find that he has, you've gone through the valley of the humiliation, you can say, it's not because I was strong, but it was because of Jesus that you would take your brother or your sister, your mother, your neighbor by the hand and tell them, come, I want you to hear about Jesus. For we have found the Messiah. 
It is the most important thing in your life, and I want you to know it. Come with me to hear about Jesus. Amen. Let's pray. Lord God, you have taken away our blindness so that we may know Jesus. And for that, we are thankful and we will be thankful and praise you forever and ever. I pray that we never forget that. I pray today that you might even stir up within us that uh, the freshness of the of that first love, the, the excitement of knowing that our sins are forgiven, for Lord, we are prone to grow cold. Instead, oh God, I pray that, that you would bring a fresh uh, blowing of the, of the Spirit within our lives so that the intensity and the desire for you would be rekindled that you would revive in us afresh the desire to share Jesus with those around us. I pray, O oh God, that you would be pleased to save men, women, and children in our community as we tell them that most important thing, to know Jesus as Savior. In his name we pray, amen. Remember that Psalm 84 expresses that yearning to know Jesus. We are pilgrims on a pathway that leads us to a celestial city, that leads us to stand one day before the face of God. And that is only because of the one who is our shield, the one who is our righteousness, as the, the, the psalm describes. It's only because of Jesus that's what the psalm says. And in our praise of that, we express our appreciation and our yearning for this most important thing, to know the Messiah. So let's sing. Psalm 84b, please stand to sing.